Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this special bonus live episode of The Political Party featuring four members of the newly formed independent group Anne Coffey, Mike Gapes, Heidi Allen and Chukar Amuna who all recently left the Labour and Conservative parties to sit together in the House of Commons. Um... It was a, the format is obviously something that we we haven't done before at the political party and just having two sets of interviews interviewing four people in an evening but it worked very well and the the atmosphere was was very different because as with in a way the um, Scottish independent specials in, during Edinburgh in 2014 you're talking about something that is happening live in front of you it, it's not obviously in some regards it's retrospective but this new group is being formed and we're finding out about it for the first time in some way through these interviews so the reasons why uh, the four of them left their parties what their ambitions for the future are um what the problems might be in setting up a new political party what they have in common what they don't all these questions that we all are desperate for answers to but on top of that there is just a thrill in seeing people talk about setting up something new um, and particularly when it involves quite a significant risk, really, to their own seats, their own careers. So it was just, um, yeah, I suppose it was a night like no other in that regard. And it was very, very funny, um, as much as it's been a huge decision for, for all of them. And, and you can really feel it, uh, the emotion of it, them having to have left parties that they really cared about and were emotionally invested in. Uh it was so funny. Uh, they're all really funny people in their own way, and it was just brilliant uh, fun. And um, some great detail as well came out. And um, it, it was a real... Apart from anything else, firstly, it's, I think it's just always um, inspiring to hear people who talk positively up about politics and have hope for the future, because at the moment, obviously, a lot of us feel that the, the future is... Um, quite a worrying place given the direction it feels like we're headed in um so that was something and to not for it to not all be dominated by brexit was really really good and just to talk about politics in a positive way and not get entirely bogged down in brexit even though i'm obsessed with brexit it was it just gave it a different feel so i hope you enjoy it i'm sure you will and thanks to Anne, mike heidi and chucker for coming on they were all superb um, the tour continues. Again, I can't thank people enough for, for having come and for all the lovely messages that you send. Um, and you can email the show as well, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, the tour continues. I'm doing a few London dates. I'm doing the South Bank Centre on the 7th and 12th of March, uh, the Other Palace Main Room on the 19th of March, and on the 26th of March, days before we are scheduled to leave the European Union, I'll be doing, I think it's my biggest stand-up show yet, at the Leicester Square Theatre, so please um, come and uh, uh, get tickets for that. And I've added some extra dates at the Salford Lowry, which sold out before, and at the Camberley Theatre. Uh, so check mattford.com slash live uh, for all those details. But for now, I'll leave you in the hands of four members of the independent group. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, give me a cheer if you've been to the political party before. Yay. Excellent. Welcome back, regulars. Give me a cheer if this is your first time. Yay. 
Oh, excellent. Welcome, newcomers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, a very special, rare occasion when we've added an extra show around a specific political event. Uh, very much uh, a different format tonight. Four guests tonight. Uh, very much the Nebworth of, uh, <laughs> of, of modern political chat shows. The formation of the independent group, of course, is, uh, is something that um, many people had hoped for, many people didn't think would happen, and arguably the most exciting development in modern British politics since Damien Green was caught looking at pornography on his computer. <laughs> so this is uh, one of the most uh, exciting nights I think we've put on here. Uh, thank you all for buying a ticket. And as always, uh, the rules are that we, uh, we, we respect our guests and um, you get to ask questions. So I've got two guests in each half. Um, Anna Subri can't make it tonight, she's not very well. So she's been replaced uh, by the wonderful Anne Coffey. So I'll have Anne Coffey and Mike Gapes in the first half and then Heidi Allen and Shukri Muna in the second half. And at the end of each section, I will open up the floor uh, for a certain amount of questions. So do brace yourself for that. Ladies and gentlemen, please get ready to give a huge welcome to two former Labour MPs, now members of the independent group, Anne Coffey and Mike Gates. Mike, thank you very much. Well, welcome to the show, uh, both of you. Um, thank you. There's so, obviously, so many things we, we, we need to talk about. First things first, whose idea was it? <laughs> I think it was a sort of coming together of conversations in corridors and things like that, saying, oh, my God, I want out of this. <laughs> Do you want out of this? Yes, I want out of this as well. Do you know anyone else who wants out of this? Yes, I know someone else who wants out of this. I imagine there's still quite a few people on that list. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, who are they? <laughs> yeah. Who are they? <laughs> I mean, there will be, I imagine there'll be further people joining. Well, I think that Brexit, of course, the event of Brexit next week is going to be quite significant because everybody's, uh, you know, especially people who are in favour of a, uh, a vote on the options like us are looking to see what the Labour Party actually means in terms of supporting a referendum because it's not quite clear, is it, Mike, what the no, Labour Party no, means? No, they've um, announced that maybe, perhaps, yeah. there'll be a people's vote with terms and conditions attached yeah. and the terms and conditions are in such small print that nobody's <laughs> quite sure what it means yeah. Um, so yeah I mean we'll, there'll be hopefully mm. a, a, some decisions next week although given Theresa May's uh, uh, experiences and what mm. we've gone through it might be put off to the week after or even the week after mm -hmm. that but a lot of our colleagues are staying where they are to see what because happens. of Brexit mm. and then I guess there'll be all kinds of things happening in British mm. politics. You seem to have had more influence on Labour's Brexit policy by leaving than you would have had by staying. I mean, is there any part of you that thinks you should have stayed now that the party seems to have moved more in favour of a second referendum? No. No. As <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it follows on from that, and I can kind of guess the answer. But do you trust that Jeremy Corbyn would actually deliver a, a people's vote or a second referendum? No. I think um, it might be uh, a possible that he would want to negotiate his own deal first. You know, in two days before the 29th of March, he'd go to Brussels and he'd say, Comrades, we want a socialist, we want a socialist Brexit. And, and we'll have a jobs first Brexit. And there won't be any problems at all. And the European Union will say, look, We've spent two years, we've got this deal, this is the deal, we're not changing it. Mm. And then he'd say, oh, 
Oh, I'll have to go back and consult Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> and Corbyn does say he wants a jobs first Brexit. I mean, in a, in a way, he's right. Jobs will be the first things to go. So he's... <laughs> he's intellectually ahead of the curve, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I thought one of the most striking... I mean, I watched the event, the independent group, the first event when, when the Labour MPs left. On a, I was on a train, I was watching it on the iPlayer live, like so many other people were. And um, <laughs> I, I found it very emotional to watch because yeah. the, the Labour speeches in particular, I thought, um, and it was only Labour people at that yeah. time, were very heartfelt and it mm -hmm. didn't feel... Uh, you could tell that there was a, a huge relief at having left an organisation mm -hmm. that you, you felt had really changed. But the emotion of it... And there were things that you both said that really resonated. And I thought the line in your speech that really stood out, Anne, was when you said, I defend the achievements of the last Labour government. And what was most striking about that was how rare it is to hear leading Labour people say it. And, and I don't know if that resonated with perhaps with other people in this room or out there in the country, but I just think it's... Well, maybe you should tell us, how peculiar is it to be part of a party that doesn't own its own history? Well, it, it's... It, it's very well. It feels well. Of course, it's very peculiar. But I, I think that kind of reflects what's happened to the party, because the people who've come into the party don't own the party's history because they've come in from other parties, SWP, the Greens. So they're starting where they are. So they're not interested in upholding the tradition of the party. They're simply interested in imposing on the party their particular ideology. And Tony Blair to them is anathema. So they're not going to own anything he did because they're not part of Labour history. There's some other you know, sort of history. And I think that's the kind of, the, you know, kind of problem. I, mean, I was Tony Blair's PPS in 1997. And I God, it was just amazing when, when I remember, you know, remember. Do you remember all those flags waving and people cheering? And, you know, we had a majority of 197 MPs. Extraordinary. And everybody was very excited by it. And we went into Downing Street. And it was incredible. 18 years out of office. And we were in Downing Street. It was just a fantastic, fantastic moment. And it was rivaled, of course, when we set up the independence. <laughs> <laughs> People were going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we need 190 to add to the seven that we had. <laughs> I hate to be a stick of it, it was 179. But, uh, who, who's, who's, who's counting? Um, I think I've still got some of those flags at home. But, uh, is that true, Mike? Did you, did you feel the, the hand of history on your shoulder? Well, I, I was actually um, part of that because... In 97, I was asked to go into the Northern Ireland office. Mm -hmm. And I was the PPS to Paul Murphy, who was the political development minister, mm -hmm. and Adam Ingram, who was the security minister, under Mo Molum. And so that whole thing about the hand of history, mm -hmm. that was, that was, that mm -hmm. was part of Tony's statement mm -hmm. outside of the castle buildings in, mm -hmm. in, in Belfast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the proudest thing I ever mm -hmm. did. I was mm -hmm. part of the team that got the Good Friday Agreement. So you must have worked alongside Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've been asked that. Some, somebody was trolling me on Twitter about the great achievements of Jeremy Corbyn and John MacDonald who'd achieved single-handedly the, the Good Friday Agreement and the Northern Ireland police process. And they were just an irritant to the process. I mean, the people who did the work, the serious work, apart from Tony and the ministers that I've mentioned, um, the Irish government, Bertie Ahern, uh, his ministers, 
who were involved, and we had Senator George Mitchell under, from Bill Clinton, and we had support from the European Union, which is why the European Union is so exercised about this Northern mm. Ireland border issue now, because the EU invested a lot of money and political support for that agreement. Mm. And, you know, it was a great thing to be part of. Mm. Just on the Northern Ireland, uh, I don't want to get into the details of the backstop, it's just the political implications of return to our border in Northern Ireland. Does Corbyn get at least that part of it? I mean, we know that he's instinctively, you're a sceptic, but is he bothered about the return of any sort of border? Yeah, I think he is, to be fair. Um, mm. And that's why Keir Starmer has managed to move the Labour Party to a customs union, mm. because a customs union would to some extent, solve that problem. You have to go a step further and be in the single market as well, which we aren't quite. We want to be the benefits of the single market but not be in it. I don't quite know how you get that. But, yeah, I do think they get that. I know. At least it's that. Um, <laughs> and in and your speech, you talked emotionally about having been a social worker as well. Mm -hmm. and obviously, having a Labour government and the effect that that was able to have, and indeed, living in a world now where we don't have a Labour government and perhaps don't look like we'll have one for a while... How hard is it for you to maybe turn around to Labour Party members who've supported you for so long, caring as you do about the welfare state and what it does for people, and effectively tell them they're going to have five or maybe ten more years of, of Tory rule? Well, of course, a lot of the Labour Party members who joined in the last two years, and there's a lot of them, believe that the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn is going to win the next election. They really, really, really believe that, and the reason, and the reason for that is often they don't have much contact with the public. You know, to, <laughs> <laughs> Just they in do, general, they don't get the "you must be kidding" <laughs> slam sort of thing. So they don't have these conversations. They do have conversations with each other, and uh, remarkably, they all believe. You know, they think. So you know, I, I think you know, for them, you can't you know tell them that, but. You know, in the 80s, and Mike and I were around in the 80s, weren't we, Mike? Oh, I was around before then. <laughs> <laughs> in the 80s, it's the same thing. In the, in the 80s, um, the people who went to party meetings actually didn't mind too much if the Tories were in government because it meant they could march on a regular basis. You know, which they, good exercise. Good exercise, which they, you know, which, which, you know, which they, they kind of enjoy. And also, they weren't actually affected by it because the Tories in the 80s did well by you know, certain you know, people. The people who were affected by were the people that nobody saw who struggled you know, inside their house, who, you know, who I saw as a, a social worker. The policies made it much worse you know, for their children. Much, you know, but they didn't see that. So they're living in a kind of different world. And well, you know, I did an attempt to try and get them out and you know, knock on people's doors and, and talk, but you know, they wouldn't do it. They'd turn up to the, the meeting and tell everybody I was rubbish, but they wouldn't go and talk to the public because it's very the public can be very inconvenient in the things that they <laughs> say, right? And they tend to be quite sharp sometimes. Yes. <laughs> so some you know, so I think I think that's the problem. So just a complete, you know, disconnection, I think. But obviously Corbyn did get a result that very few people, including his closest allies, thought he was going to get. In terms of seats, he's kind of on the brink of power. Who knows whether Brexit will destroy this Tory government? kind of is closer to power than we, we thought he would be. The bookies would say he's one of the favourites to be the next Prime Minister. It's not beyond the realms of possibilities that he would win an election or form a minority administration. 
I, I mean, I think that the problem the party's got now is it, it, it can't be outward facing. It's so convulsed by its own internal uh, tension, in, in you know, uh, tensions and its inability to solve the anti, very deeply embedded anti-Semitism in the party, which has come in with a lot of the people who came from other parties who, you know, who were, you know, anti-Semitic. And I think because it's convulsed like that and it can't be outward looking and people see the party through, you know, through Jeremy, I think the chances of it being elected are, you know, very low, I think. Uh, how emotional, how hard was it to leave a party that you've been involved in for so long? I, um, I've been a member of the Labour Party 50 years and um, I've still got Labour values um, and I, I was active in the party all that time. Mm -hmm. I'd been a, the chair of the National Organisation of Labour Students, I'd been YS branch treasurer when I was 17, um, and I'd been 15 years working in the headquarters and then 27 years as an MP. And I, I never ever thought, and I said on Twitter in 2015, they'll only take me out in a box. Mm -hmm. um, and I really never ever thought I would come to that point. Mm -hmm. And how big was the box they hired on <laughs> 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 oh, it's obviously big. You'll just, you'll just see the descriptions of me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, 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 when you've come to a point where you've made your mind up that you've stayed and you've fought, yeah. and you've stayed and you've fought, mm -hmm. and then you're agonising all the time, mm -hmm. and you get to a point where you decide this isn't possible to be changed now. You've got the leader, the general secretary, the national executive, mm -hmm. nine people were elected as the JC9, one of whom had even been disowned by momentum, um, but nevertheless he was elected because he said it, hashtag JC9. Yeah. And then the constitutional committee, that's Pete Wilsman, and all the way through the structures and the regional organisers that they are now appointing and everything else. And you actually, when Neil Kinnock saved the Labour Party and brought us back from the difficult position we were in in the 80s, I was with him. I was part of that. But in those days, you had a party machine and a party leader that wanted to change the party mm. and, and make it acceptable to the public so that we would win. Um, you know, and just imagine what a, a Neil Kinnock or a John Smith or a Tony Blair would be doing against Theresa May now. Mm. Labour would be miles ahead. You know, but, you know, we're not. And, you know, this is the tragedy. <laughs> no, they are not, sorry. Wash your mouth out. No, you see, you see it was hard. And so, from, from, I, and I don't, you know, normally when I speak at events, I, I don't script things and it's showing. Um, um, and I, I actually scripted out what I was going to say at that event because I, I wasn't sure I could get through it yeah. without breaking down because mm. it is a big emotional wrench. But afterwards, I've got this huge weight has been lifted. Mm. And I'm, what's, what I'm really worried about is my friends. Yeah. You know, I've got some really good friends who are Labour councillors, Labour MPs, people I've been in the party with for years and years, but they're still my friends and people are saying, don't worry about it, you're not, you know, you haven't changed, you're the same person. And so that, that was the biggest wrench for me, but I, I'm so glad I did it. I mean, you, you say we there by mistake. I mean, that, you still obviously will have an affection for the Labour Party that you were a member of, exactly. both of you. Do you think there is any point in the future that you would rejoin? No. no. Not even if? 
No. And it sorts itself no. out, no. and no. Hillary Benn takes no. over, or no. Tony Blair takes over, or... Oh, well! <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. You're gone, you're gone. I mean, I think that's... When you're gone, you're gone. You can't, you can't go back. You can't go back. Because, I mean, that, I suppose, is, is the essence of the decision, isn't it? Mm. At what point do you decide that all hope is gone. Mm. That's right. That there's, that there's no hope whatsoever, and you mm. both feel that you've reached mm. not even 1% chance. I made the decision to myself last year, and I was so glad that there were other people that I could mm. have conversations with, which meant that I didn't go on my own. Mm. But, you know, I, would, I was mentally in that position by the summer of last year, and uh, I was outed from a WhatsApp group from venting my views and within six hours of me saying it, somebody had given it to the Times, which caused me a lot of problems last summer. But, but you know, I actually, I'm so pleased that I'm, I'm with a group of nice people, which is, you know, you can't We're always nice say We're nice people. Yeah. We're nice people. Not like them. <laughs> but do you, um, so when, I mean, it must be quite hazardous really when you first start to talk about seriously leaving mm. amongst mm. other MPs because be, be, I mean I imagine there are some that go yeah it's awful and mm. think, well, maybe they might go with me mm. but to find people that you could truly trust mm. and all do it together that's right, mm. that's right. must have been so tricky there must have been some people that would go what are you mm. lot up to mm. were, were there people who would perhaps agree to some extent and then be horrified that you were going to leave I don't I, 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 it's very difficult sometimes to know what other people you know the, you know think uh, really I mean, we started going round together, didn't we? Yeah, and we, we just started eating together. We started eating together in this table, sort of, you know, and there was always this... Sounds like wildlife on one. There was always this... Hiding in plain sight. Yes, that's exactly... And, and we'd done that for a few weeks, yeah. hadn't they? So, yeah, and a couple um, of diary pieces. Yeah. Were, was a, these people have been seen eating, eating together. together. <laughs> what, what does it mean? They're hungry, <laughs> first and foremost. Yeah, so. um, but was that just the Labour ones, or with Heidi, Sarah? And no, it was just the Labour, Labour ones. Just Labour ones yeah. So then, because obviously, when the Labour, when you got Labour guys left, there was then the sort of is, are some Tories going to come, and then obviously a few days later the Tories did come. Did you know they were going to do that? We knew that there were a group of Tory MPs who were in the same position as us, mm. but they we didn't know that they were definitely going to come at that point, mm. and they didn't know because we didn't tell them mm. that we were going when we did. Oh my mm -hmm. God! We, we 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 kept it very tight. Mm -hmm. um, and the, because there was all kinds of speculation and mm -hmm. there was stuff out and one, one journalist ran a story based upon a Tory minister was mm -hmm. threatening to resign and it was interpreted that there was going to be a big announcement on the mm -hmm. Thursday night mm -hmm. which was Valentine's Day and, and they, they were running stories Chuka's going to leave the Labour Party today at 8 o'clock uh, 8 o'clock at night eight and, <laughs> and, and so he put a tweet out with a glass of wine he was having a drink with his wife you know. um, but, but we, when we didn't leave on the Thursday Mm. The media sort of intensity went away, mm -hmm. which meant it was great because we could go on the Monday morning mm -hmm. and they weren't all, you know, and mm -hmm. we gave them a couple of hours notice that we're doing this event, but they didn't know who it was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a big surprise when we came in. They were actually saying, oh, that's so-and-so and that's someone else, you know. It was, it was remarkable you were able to keep it so yeah. tight and under wrap. I mean, yeah. even booking the venue, like, did you have to ring up and go, oh, it's Mark 
Gips here. I like <laughs> no, I, I didn't have anything to do you, with no, that. No, no, that was... <laughs> so that was just handled by the people. Uh, yeah. Because you had, like, the independent group thing made. Yeah. yeah. So when are you getting that made? Yeah. So I'm going, what's the independent group? Yeah. <laughs> it was made in secret. Cellar yeah. <laughs> and that. But that makes it so cool and secretive. Yeah. Like, the night, the night before, or even the morning, were you worried that any of the others weren't going to go through with it and no. you were going to be the only no. person? no. No, we'd, we'd been so tight together. Yeah. We'd had discussions. Mm -hmm. And we even had a, a rehearsal. We went through it the day before. Mm -hmm. Because we, we, we didn't want to be repetitive in what we said. Yes. So each of us knew, and we knew which order we were speaking in and when we were going to walk in and so on. We, we had actually worked it all out beforehand because this was a big event. And, you know, we, yeah. we knew it would be big, but it was absolutely huge. I mean, um, the adrenaline. I mean, the, the, yeah. you do different things as a politician, obviously, out on the doorstep, yeah. dealing with the public, and that's... Um, a testing experience. You get up in the House of Commons, and that can be a cauldron of hustings and all the rest yeah. of it. Did the, I mean this must be something? I mean, none of you have done this before, so no. did it? Did it feel more nerve-wracking? It felt unusual. <laughs> in a nice way, or in 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 an in in exciting. I mean, bearing in mind that you know we've been in a place for a very long time where we've hated the organisation that we've been part of and had lots of sort of negative energy sapping experiences with it. So to be at the start of something that we felt was going to be very positive felt very exciting and different from anything we'd ever done before. And I think you're right. I mean, what, what was good for me was the level of trust you know, between, you know, our colleagues, that you were effectively trusting them with, you know, your, you know, your future, you know, in a sense. And uh, that was, that's an amazing experience because you don't get that level of trust. So often. On, on the day, mm. I mean, someone must have arrived first and someone must have arrived last. No, they we locked us up at about 6.30 in the morning. We, we, it was 7 o'clock, <laughs> we were in County Hall. Yes. And we were told we had to be there by 7.15. Yeah. And several of us were there before then. Yeah. And by 7.15, we were all in this building and there was, there was eventually some coffee and things mm. to eat. And then we just sat there listening to the Today programme on our, mm. uh, our iPad <laughs> and, and then um, just preparing the email resignation uh, message that we mm. were going to send simultaneously at five minutes to ten. And then Chuka's iPad froze and we, <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't send them. To, it was about 59 that we sent them. But once, but once we pressed the button, we'd all done it. Yeah. So we could honestly say when we went in there this morning, we've resigned from the Labour Party, yeah. and nobody could say, "No, you haven't." You know. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, can I just get the Wi-Fi password? Thanks for resigning from the Labour Party. <laughs> so we we thought through, you know, that we we have to actually do it before we go into the room, mm. and uh, and we did. And then there was a long walk because the room we were in was one side of a corridor and you had to go right the way around. And the county hall was being converted into a hotel, into this small room at the end, which was about a quarter the size that it should really have been given the mm. number of television cameras and photographers. Mm. And, and, you know, and, it, and then we walked on to, to this little platform and did our bit. Uh, uh, later in the week, um, once the Conservatives had joined you, um, you went out for a Nando's. That's right. That was the um, following week. Well, that, was that was the following week. Following week yeah. uh, it caused a lot of fuss. Um, Anna Subri ordered a salad, which... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't do Nando's. Um, sort of suspicious lack of hot sauce. Um, 
Um, do you remember what you both had? Uh, and, uh, and what did you have? Do you remember? I had a steak. A steak at Nando's? <laughs> she was searching the menu saying, to, where's I the meat? I found one, I found one. Oh, they do a steak roll, don't they, or something like that? No, no, they got a little steak. It wasn't very good, but they got <laughs> The steak, Mike? And I a had a, a hot summer burger. Yeah. With, um, uh, with, with chips and a salad. Yes. <laughs> but, but the picture didn't show it because... Um, when, 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 when the picture was taken, we were just messing about. We weren't doing it as a photo thing at all. It was just they tweeted and it went viral. But I didn't have any food on, in front of me, so there's all this Kremlinology. Why is Mike Gapes not eating? <laughs> <laughs> is he going out for a better meal somewhere else? <laughs> I think the biggest disappointment was Chris Leslie appeared to be having lemon and herb. Um, it's, it's a, a direct question about his masculinity, really. But, um, will Chris be having hot sauce any time in the future? I mean, they'll probably have a right tonight. Um, did you? So on the night of once you you've done this event, the cameras go. Yeah. Did you have a glass of champagne? Or no, no. We went straight in on that day. Um, uh, on on the Monday after the event, I did twenty eight radio and television mm -hmm. interviews between. 12.15 and I was on the world tonight at 20 past 10 and everybody else did similar kind of me media, mm. national and regional media. It was just intense right through. I mean, so it was a remark. It's, it's really hard to know now mm -hmm. how it be judged in British history. Yes. And it must be one of, the, one of the most special things about being a politician is you get into it because you want to make the world a better place. But then you do have the opportunity to change the course of the direction mm. of the country, which usually you do from government, but you've, you've done this in a kind of renegade way. Do you kind of wonder what history will think, or is that not on your mind at all? Um, I, I think we might be a very small footnote, um, but that's probably more than most people get. Um, I think we have made a difference already, and whether this succeeds or not, we've done what's right. And that, you've just got to be true to yourself and you don't care about how you're seen in the future. You've just got to do what you believe. And, and I've got no doubt whatsoever I've done what's right. Is that the same for you, Anne? I, I think I, I... What nagged at me was the fact that, you know, because I've held this seat for a very long time, and I could have kept my head down, you know, yeah. because I had a lot of backbench interests I was pursuing. I'm, you know, quite interested in um, issues like child exploitation, um, and I could have uh, against it. I, I am <laughs> against it. <laughs> Sorry, that <laughs> wasn't a good way of me expressing it, um, but. Uh, <laughs> But because uh, that's kind of what you can do, you can you hide, you know, you can hide of hide. So I could have, you know, I could have stayed there and be very comfortable. But every day it kind of nagged and nagged and nagged at me that it was wrong. The party was going the wrong way. It, you know, it wasn't right. And I also was very conscious that when I did campaign in in in, in Stockport. Um, you know, I, I said to people, well, you know, the Labour Party, don't worry about it. You know, Jeremy's not going to get into number 10. And I thought, you can't stay in a party mm -hmm. in which you cannot, you cannot say to the public, support our leader. Because even if you don't mention him on the doorstep, even if you don't mention him in your literature, that's effectively what you're trying to do. And at the end of it, I just, I just 
felt that it felt right to me to be able to make a statement, you know, that I no longer support this party with this, you know, with this leader. But what I kind of think might say, what I've been very surprised about is that people, it's a very kind of um, straightforward view people have of it, and they, they articulate it very clearly. They say, you know, we'd lost our political home, we didn't want to vote for the Tories, but we felt we couldn't vote for Labour, so we're very pleased that you've done this because we hope it will give us somewhere where we can put our, our vote. So, you know, when you get that back, you feel that you've done right. But for myself, because, you know, at the end of the day, you have to feel right in yourself. I just, like Mike, felt a great sense of relief and thought, sod it, you know, I've done <laughs> what I think is right. How often do you get that opportunity in life? You know, it's a great privilege to have a position where you can do that and make a bit of difference. Fantastic. I suppose the question is, is how many of those people who say they now, you know, mm. are politically homeless and in inverted commas, would vote for you in your seat at the next election. I mean, I suppose part of the calculation that you've all made is it makes your own re-elections harder on the face of it, yeah, yeah. certainly it in the does. short and medium yeah. term. Yeah. You're all, I suppose, accepting that yeah. this might be the last part mm, of the decision. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that a hard decision in itself? or? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, it's not nice to be in opposition. You know, if you join, if, if you do something, because you want to make a difference, you know, however that is. It is not nice to be in a situation where you can't make any difference at all. And furthermore, you can't even, you're not even working as a team with the party that, you know, that, that you're in. I mean, that doesn't, you know, feel very good. So to go out of office on the basis of having done what's right and being free to say what you think is right for the member of the term, I think is, is okay with me. That's, 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 that's okay. It doesn't. It, you, 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 there's no sadness about perhaps the fact that at the next election, you you know, Labour might defeat you in that seat, or the Tories might win the seat, or that your time in Parliament might come to an end as a result of this decision. Well, I think politicians, you know, you, the end comes sometimes in unexpected yeah, ways, yeah, yeah, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so you you know you, you you know there's always an end to it, but I think yeah. all of us would like to you know to go out feeling that it was you know it was our it was our choice. That feels good. But well, it's not necessarily a given that you would lose your seats. I suppose it just it, it does make it a bit harder. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, but you're not entitled to seats, are you? Not we party. Well, no, very parties, true. Yeah, yeah. Parties don't own voters. No. And you have to respect your, the electorate. Now, I've when I won the constituency in '92, I won by 400 votes. Yeah. My majority at the last election was 31,000 plus. Now, good old Corbyn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was 19,000 under Ed Miliband, and and, and the, the turnout was much higher last time. And there were lots of young people voting mm -hmm. Labour last time because they wanted to stop Theresa May's hard Brexit. Mm -hmm. um, and I I think. Whatever happens at the next election, depends when it is. If it goes to 22, we'll be in a very different... We'll still be talking about Brexit, I assume, but it will be in a slightly different context. But I, I, I just made the decision. Mm -hmm. I, I can't anymore do what I did in 2017, which was to bite my lip, refuse all media at all, send all my activists into the neighbouring constituency to work for West Streeting, because his majority was 589 mm. and at the previous election. Um, and I just basically did 
school gates, shopping centres, and did a targeted, um, every elector got an election address saying I was going to be a strong pro-European voice. Didn't mention Corbyn, didn't mention the Labour manifesto, and it was entirely about my record and being pro-European. And, and that's the basis on which I got this huge vote. In terms of um, the public and the public's right to choose their MPs, obviously one of the big questions you've all faced is why you're not standing mm -hmm. for by-elections. Mm -hmm. It's a compelling argument. It's probably the hardest question to get around, really, because there is a sense of fairness that what, whatever you say about the leaflets you put out, people are still voting for that party brand mm -hmm. on the ballot paper. It is such a big deal for people to vote Labour with the candidate's name mm -hmm. as well. Um, do you think it's the right thing to do to not seek by-election now? Do you think some of you will seek by-elections in the future, or is it a, a group decision that you'll see it out until the general election? We've all decided that we're going mm. to stay and represent our constituents. Um, and when people vote in this country, you don't vote party lists. It's not a proportional system. You vote for an individual constituency MP, and you have the name on the ballot paper. Um, and when people were telling me at the last general election, well, I can't vote for that Corbyn, I was saying, well, he's not standing here. I'm the person who's standing here. That's what Jeremy here. used to say in this league. That's true. That's true. That's true. We've got the evidence. Really? I think the other thing, how bad would it be to democracy if parties owned seats in it so that... You know, if you if your party hierarchy, you know, didn't you know like you, um, you, you know, they they own that seat. So if you did some, you know, if you if you left the party, they would have the seat back. We would all be employed in effect by our you know by, by our party bosses. So that would be incredibly undermining of, of of democracy because nobody would be able to have an independent voice. What's the reaction of your constituents been? Has anyone said, I really like you, Anne, but I think you should fight a by-election. I voted you as a Labour candidate and I've got the right to choose again. They have, but they've all been members of the Labour Party. <laughs> I've, I've had about four emails from constituents saying I should resign and force by-elections. I've had dozens of probably by now over a hundred conversations with people spontaneously on the street mm. coming up to me and saying, well done. I mean, I, I even, um, I was at the football uh, last, uh, last week and um, going to, uh, on Saturday to see West Ham against Newcastle. And I was wearing my scarf and I was going walking through. We did, 2-0. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, 60,000 people and a bloke came up to me and said, aren't you that? Labour MP, and I sort of said, yeah, and he said, well done. <laughs> wow. I don't think the public kind of quite see it in the same, you know, way, really. I mean, I think if you're involved in politics, you think that nobody talks about anything else. They switch on the news yeah. to find out what's up. But it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's not true. I'm always surprised how little impact you know, there, you know, there is in, in terms of the public. Because, you know, they're you know, the normal people, they get on with their lives, you know, what matters to them is not what we say, but, you know, how they're doing and how their families are doing and how their job is going. Is there any part of you that thinks, you know what, bring it on, we'll have a load of by-elections and we'll, we'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with it, and is there a desire to sort of settle it that way? Um, well, the next general election, we'll, we'll, we'll settle it. And we've got a big series of votes in Parliament at the moment. Mm. 
the last thing we want is to reduce the number of MPs uh, for the next few months who would be strongly fighting for Remain and stopping trying to stop Brexit. That's the last thing we need. What we need is the maximum number of people in Parliament to fight as we have been within the Labour Party and as we'll do outside the Labour Party. In terms of a group, well firstly in terms of the name of the group, how did you settle on the catchy, <laughs> the independent group? The Tiggers, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of a logical uh, thing because we, we are going independent yeah. and we are not yet a political party mm. and so our first step was to be become group. independent mm. and but we called ourselves a group because we wanted to be able to try within parliament not just to sit as individuals but actually to work collectively mm -hmm. and we had an inkling that we would be joined by some people from the conservative party mm. so we we weren't going to brand ourselves as as Real Labour, True mm. Labour, authentic. Well, Professional <laughs> Labour. <laughs> no, 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 that's already... <laughs> anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but the thing, I mean, it does what it says on the tin, and it works yeah. now, but it, I suppose it's almost like an apprentice task when they have to come up with a team name. And it's maybe like Kinetic yeah. or Summit or Aspire yeah. or something like yeah. that, but... Was it a missed opportunity to have, you know, kind of synergy or...? Well, so that's one that the post office was going to be called Consignia oh, and that was consigned that. to history <laughs> in about a week. But there were no other names in, in the hat? No, we, 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 we just knew that we were going independent mm. and we, we, we didn't think of a name. No doubt our colleagues... Well, you were there, weren't you, Anne? Yeah, you went to the Electoral yeah, Commission this yeah. afternoon. I, I didn't. I, I was in Parliament still, but... Um, if we're going through a process of becoming a party, then obviously we've got to have a name. And that name, there's all kinds of complications there about what you can call yourself, because uh, other people can't have already registered the name and all those kind of things. So it's complicated. Okay, well, I mean, I suppose that's the task for tonight's audience, that by the end, <laughs> genuinely, by the end of tonight, if, if you've got an idea, well, well we come to questions uh, in a few minutes. If you do have an idea that would be a good name, I mean, a good idea is a good idea, right? So take it semi-seriously. <laughs> it would be quite cool if we came up with a name tonight. So that's, that's something for us all to... I mean, what, are there any sort of going around your mind that you think... No. <laughs> Centrists or Blairites or... You know, what, you know, <laughs> I suppose it's quite a hard task to come up with the name of the Labour Party. Well, it, it, it's a hard task because those, those, I mean, the Labour Party has been the Labour Party for a hundred odd years. You know, the, the Conservative Party have had their name for a very long time. People understand what that brand is, unfortunately for them, as it now happens. But um, how, do, you know, how do you suddenly arrive on a, a name that, you know, that it's, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Uh, have you got any suggestions? Well, um, <laughs> I'm going to try and think, along with everyone else, I think we should all try and think of a, of a good name. I mean, I do, in a way, feel slightly sorry for the Lib Dems, because yeah. what you're all saying is, if only there was some sort of middle ground, <laughs> anti-Brexit party that was fairly liberal, you know. But, I mean, what is it about the Lib Dems you don't like? Is it, you know, is it just that you don't like wearing socks and sandals? No, I, I think we know that it's the, the problem with politics at the moment isn't just the Labour Party mm. and the Conservative Party. 
And I think the Lib Dems brand, if you're going into names and brands, mm -hmm. is also part of the history. Mm -hmm. And they were in the coalition government. You've got the tuition fees stuff. So there's a level of toxicity that they've got, which is why I think they are getting 7% or sometimes 8, 9, 10, 11%. But they haven't broken through, no. um, which you, you would have expected given how dire Theresa May is and how awful Jeremy Corbyn is. You know, there was a huge space yeah. there, but the Lib Dems have not taken advantage of that. It's weird, given that they've got such an energetic leader, that they, <laughs> they haven't sort of seized the moment. Um, yeah. I feel bad saying that because I do like Vince Campbell. I mean, you, you've agreed to weekly meetings with the Lib Dems. No, you? We, no we haven't. Haven't you? Who told you that? Fake news? Yeah. <laughs> I read. Who have you been listening to? Well, various people—the <laughs> wrong people, it turns out. Yeah. I thought uh, there's no agreement with the Lib Dems at all. No, to any no, sort of no, 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 no. I mean, are, you, are there any Lib Dem MPs that you think might be tempted to join? Well, they—you know—the offer is there. If they want to leave their party and come and join us, that'd be great. And I mean, Vince Cable must be broadly supportive of what you're doing. But Vince Cable has, has been very supportive on the occasions I've shared uh, platforms. With We've him. worked on, on the European issue together, cross-party. Um, we, we put down an amendment which wasn't selected by the mm. Speaker last week, which Lib Dems and SNP uh, came in behind. Um, so, and some Labour MPs and Tories mm. as well. Um, so we will work with them. On an issue by issue basis, but we're not we're not going into a, an alliance, a mm. pact, you know. It, it's that that that's last century stuff. We're not doing that. What you're saying is you're not taking them to Nando's. <laughs> no, be absolutely clear. Well, not. the table that we're on it only took about twelve people, and there were eleven of us on it. So you know, you'd you'd actually have to take over the whole of Nando's. <laughs> Right, let's open up the, uh, the, the floor to some questions. Indicate clearly, please, and I'll come to you as soon as I can. And if we can have uh, one-sentence questions, and please, one-sentence answers, we'll try and get around oh, okay. uh, as many people. Daisy has a rover mic. Is there anyone here that would like to ask a question of uh, Anne and or Mike? Yes, the gentleman there. And if you've got an idea for a new party name, by all means, pitch it. <laughs> oh, oh, God, what was it? I'd like to propose the smug, well-informed Metropolitan Party, which is a, a sort of a shorthand that we sometimes use for, uh, for our viewpoints, which you're, you're very welcome to, to use yourselves as well. The swim or the swing? Swim. swim. The swim party? Well, certainly take, consider that. <laughs> so polite, so polite. <laughs> and what's the question? <laughs> you obviously have... <laughs> You obviously have many reasons why you, um, or many things to consider when you left the, the party, but when I left about eight, nine months ago, the thing that kind of tipped the balance for me was Corbyn's hostility towards the media mm. and how he's behaving in an almost Trumpian yeah. fashion, a really aggressive way towards the MSM, the mainstream media. Mm. Does that worry you as much as it worries me and lots of others? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it, you, you use the word Trumpian. The kind of aggressive way that, that journalists are attacked for asking difficult questions. Because that's their job. And if you can't deal with difficult questions, you should not be in frontline politics. And I, I, there is a real problem. Um, 
it's not just Corbyn, the way he reacts, but it's also that Theresa May was hidden away. And when she did her general election tour, they, they allowed one question from the local newspaper. And, you know, it's, it's all managed. And I think one of the problems we've got is that attempt to, to manage and stop difficult questions being asked because they, they won't say the right thing. In that spirit, let's take another one. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't a one-sentence answer. Uh, no, no, well, it was, it was, it was, a, right. it was a, if you include commas, it kind of was. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mike. Um, I'm Venezuelan. I've been living here for the past seven years, and I'm very grateful for your stance on, on Venezuela. But I wonder why, why do you think this issue is relevant? It's quite far away and controversial. So why do you think it's relevant to UK? It's about human rights. It's about um, people being able to express themselves freely when they have oppressive, incompetent, corrupt government. And it may be a long way away, but it's symptomatic of some other regions. And I, when I resigned, I, I said, the Corbyn is on the wrong side on a number of international issues. And I cited Russia, Syria, and Venezuela. And I, I just believe that Part of the labour tradition that I come from is believing in internationalism and believing that you try and help people in other countries who are suffering from repression or, or human rights abuses. And, and not just rhetorically, but in real terms help them. Venezuela was something that obviously people like Richard Bergen and, and John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn had uh, initially attached themselves to Maduro and, and then slightly gone quiet in, in, in recent times. Um, to some people it would seem an obscure international example. Do you think it is a, is a genuine blueprint for what Corbyn would do to Britain or not? I think, it's, it, I think the economic model that Venezuela you know, used results directly in poverty directly in oppression, directly in suffering, because it just doesn't make the economy work. And it is very important to have an economy to work. Without an economy that's working, you can't have freedom. And then, of course, being a very authoritarian regime, when there was any kickback against that, then the screw started going out and the, the oppression you know, started. I mean, how you know how bad is it that somebody has to leave their their country and you know thousands have gone across five the border, million you know because of because they're starving and you know the arsehole that's doing it is <laughs> still there. Can I just ask the, the, the lady from Venezuela if you've still got the microphone? In terms of what is what is your view of, of of Corbyn's view of Venezuela? I mean, does he have an accurate view? Is it is it sanctions that have caused this? problem or is it Maduro himself and is it a blueprint that you think should be copied elsewhere? Well, I think the, uh, the, relevant, the relevant thing for me is that uh, we can't tolerate here double standards. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, you really can't, it's, it's horrible to see members of parliament holding different standards for what we, you mm. would accept here, which is mm. the rule of law, mm. human rights, you know, mm. not um, uh, torturing political prisoners. But then when that happens uh, abroad, or in Venezuela, in the third world, mm. then it's okay because mm. uh, everything turns, rather than being based on evidence, uh, is being based on intentions. Mm. So it's really about who has the, the greatest speech and can offer simple solutions to very complex uh, mm. issues. So, um, and and uh, Hugo Chavez, 
was a, uh, adored uh, Cuba. Mm -hmm. And so obviously Cuba is quite far away from the UK, but you can see the direct line of, you know, if your leader, if your political leader thinks the Cuba is, is, is a good example, then you can see what's coming. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, I'm going to refer this point. The gentleman over there um, with the glasses, and then I'll take uh, one more in that section. And then we'll have a break. Um, if there were a motion of no confidence in the government tomorrow, how would you vote? Um, I think uh, how we vote would be irrelevant because the Lib Dems and the SNP have already made clear they're not playing games. Um, I don't want a Conservative government. I'm quite happy to vote for a no confidence in a Conservative government, but it's not going to make any difference because the arithmetic is such in the House of Commons that... Um, there will not be a, a, a majority to get rid of unless a large number of Conservative MPs from the ERG vote no confidence, which, you know, we, we've got no calculation over that. Is it something you've discussed as a group, Anne, if there was a, a confidence vote? I think it's, I think that, you know, as, as, you know, obviously we discuss it as a group, it would be a monumental occasion, but they've... The no confidence vote, straightforward no confidence vote in Theresa May wouldn't work because of the, for the reasons that Mike said. The only way of then, um, you know, bringing about a downfall of the government would be if she called a no confidence vote in herself, so that two thirds of the Commons supported that, and then you'd go into the, you know, the the, the start of an election. And of course, that's not going to happen because the you know the Conservatives have got a, a clear line which they think of recovery, which is sort out Brexit, get rid of Theresa May, get somebody else in, and then go for an election, and that's their best you know chance of, of forming the next government. So, the talk of you know confidence vote is actually irrelevant in the context of the options that are open. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a, a, a quick break. We'll be back after the break with Heidi Allen and Chuck Ramuno. For now, please give a huge thank you to Anne Coffey and Mike Gates. Thank you very much. Welcome back. Has anyone thought of a name yet? No, right. Okay, we've got... got Gates of Wrath. The what? Gates of Wrath. Gates of Wrath. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's brilliant. That's really good. Well done. Um, right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, Mike uh, and Anne were obviously superb, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, two other members uh, of the independent group, Heidi Allen, who was uh, not that long ago uh, a guest on the political party and a, and a real fan favourite, and Chuck Ramuna, his first time here. So, ladies and gentlemen, please raise the roof for Heidi Allen and Chuck Ramuna. <laughs> Oh, wherever you like, yeah. Uh, so, Chucker, you have recently been selected, elected, chosen as the spokesman. Is that uh, just a new word for leader? And, uh, and if not, uh, and if not, why not? Yeah, excellent question. Well, it's, it, it, we don't. <laughs> we don't have a leader. We don't. So have I take it you didn't not, vote from then, Heidi. We're not is, a party. We're not a party. <laughs> it's all right. You know, average. Well, actually, we, the, way, the way we decided what everybody was going to do was quite like, I think that's how people do it in the real world. So we sat around and we used post-it notes 
and we wrote down all the different roles and everybody wrote next to the different roles what they would like to do. And then we just came, I mean, and it sounds kind of wishy-washy and all kind of motherhood and upper pie, but we kind of, that's how we decided what we were all going to do. And we, that's how we ended up doing what we did. And that's how I ended up as a spokesperson. But the, the one thing I, people are like, you must have a leader. If, you know, we want to set up a new party, there will need to be a leader of a new party. But one of the things that I left in the Labour Party was this whole cult of this deity, of this leader, you know, who, who could sort out all your problems, and if he says it will happen, he'll do some magic, and it all happens. <laughs> we don't have that now. <laughs> and I just kind of think, you don't, that's not great, it's not grown up. No, it's um, a nightmare when it's not you. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> but you know, I, I don't, the last Labour conference I went to, right, or was it the year before? Uh, God, I knew I shouldn't have come on this show. Uh, but, Recently. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I was in the main conference hall of the Labour Party, and there was this presentation of this picture to Jeremy Corbyn, and it was a picture of him with a halo on his head. On his head. <laughs> and I was just like, what has happened here? <laughs> so, none of that, whatever we create, we're not doing that. No, but good of Emily Thornbury to paint it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. At least is that. I mean, it, was it, we heard from Mike and Anne about how emotional it was to, to leave the Labour Party. Did you feel emotional leaving? Yeah, it was very sad. I'd been a member of the party for 22 years. Um, and I don't think any of us, you know, it's one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. And um, I just feel really lucky that um, I'm part of an incredible team of people. And we've all supported each other through it. Um, it's probably been harder for some, some of us more than others. Um, and, you know, there's a, 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 a good friend, a, a comrade from my local party, Mike. You still say it, my local party, um, here. And, it, and I've, you know, you feel, you know, you may have left them in the lurch and it's really difficult. But I think, as Mike said, you've got to do the right thing by your values and you've got to maintain your integrity and do the right thing by the country. And uh, look, you know, history would say that we've just basically ended our political <laughs> careers whenever the next general election comes. But I think if you're not prepared to put your values and what you believe in before just being an MP, you really shouldn't be doing yeah. it. And that's why we collectively all reached the destination that we did. It's not, it's not with joy, but this country, God, it's crying out for change and it's mm. crying out for a different politics. We can't carry on with this nonsense. And so let's change it. Uh, the Labour event was, was very emotional. I can sense that you still feel the, the weight of that decision. Hmm. Heidi, the, the Tory event was, was like... Was like a... Was it, oh, it's like a... <laughs> I was going to say a hen do, but it felt... It felt like... It felt like a night out. It was, it was so incredibly joyous and funny. It was. <laughs> Amazing, I've never felt that in the Tory party. <laughs> <laughs> and what strikes me about you is you've only been an MP for a handful of years, yeah, not even years. four years, really. Everyone else has been around a bit longer. So, you've, in terms of your tenure as an MP, you've gone a bit earlier. I think that says a lot about the modern Tory party that it was. You couldn't live there even after a short amount of time. Well, it shows how quickly it's changed. Um, and this stuff creeps up on you. So I don't, you know, in some respects it was easier for me because I don't have years and years 
of history and friendships and baggage. I mean, don't get me wrong, I made a lot of good friends and interestingly, they're all still my friends and nothing actually, nothing has changed. Um, but, She's, yeah. is, is Teresa We need to write that down, it's a good line. Um, but, even in the short time that I've been there, and maybe that's what made it easy because I didn't have yesteryear to remember, but it has changed beyond all recognition. You know, I, a, I would not be welcome in the Tory party if I put myself forward to be a candidate now. And I wouldn't want to join the Tory party if I decided to do it right now. Because you know, they say a week's a long time in politics. But I tell you what, in three years, it has changed beyond all recognition. And I am now free. Because that is not my party. We, um, we spoke only a few months ago. You were, we, we sat on the stage. It's your fault, probably. You probed me quite heavily at the time, I seem to remember. R well, mm. <laughs> uh, uh, I would love to think that. <laughs> please. Phil, don't listen to this. Please let the history books show that uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was formed on this stage. But um, I got the sense at the time that you were... I mean, you were open about how unhappy you were in the past. Well, if it was a few months ago, then it, we were kind of through that three-year journey, and that's how I was feeling. So at that point, these thoughts were, were, were serious at that point that you were towards the door, really? I'm no, I'm trying to think when that was. In all fairness, um, so the Magnificent Seven, the Lone Ranger, and then the three <laughs> Amigas. Um, I think I was the last Amiga to join. I think I was probably the last one to, to join in with the conversations. So no, when we last chatted, yes, I may have been uncomfortable, but this wasn't on the radar at all. This has happened, certainly for me, pretty quickly. There's a lot of talk of WhatsApp groups. Uh, WhatsApp of WhatsApp groups. groups. Uh, and of course, many of us are in WhatsApp groups. Um, I, I, I mean, it must be... <laughs> <laughs> Sounded so old-fashioned then. <laughs> we do signal. So what's that? I have no idea, but apparently it's safer. Oh, so that's even. <laughs> so is that even well, more? It's kind of. We've had to operate in this really like undercover way. Amazing. Because if you're trying to leave your, <laughs> you know, if you're trying to leave an organisation that you're in and you've been in for years. You know, you can get expelled for even thinking differently in some senses, and so. I think part of what's been liberating is being able to just be very open about how we've reached the place that we've got to. But it was quite, I, 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 I have to confess, you're never quite sure that everybody's going to do it. I knew actually on the Monday that the, the former Labour MPs did it, it was so obvious that we were going to all do it at that point. Nobody was going to, you know, go, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. And in fact, you know, like Mike said, I couldn't get my iPad to work. So. <laughs> People are like, come on, send that email. Send up, come on, Jenny Formby, you know. All that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, but but then when um, when when I kind of uh, I was one of the people who was kind of a contact point, I suppose, with the former Conservative, now former Conservative MPs, and like you were like, right, guys, we've we've done it. Are you we, we're doing this as well? And they were like, absolutely. And uh, but it had to all be very, you know, kind of undercover. But it wasn't, it wasn't completely scripted. I mean, like when Luciana got up on the stage and said, I'm the Labour MP, and, she, and even now you, you, you talk about our, we, and you're still in transition in a way. So we're human, right? We're not all odd. On no, it takes, <laughs> it takes a long time to get out of those. Allegedly. It takes a long time to get out of those habits. Particularly yeah. in politics, we do so many meetings where you're used to you know, describing... Hamas's friends, or you know, the sort of language. That... <laughs> he needs to stop that. <laughs> Could take a long time to together. So, just in terms of when you set up this WhatsApp group or whatever, what was the platform it was on? Signal. Signal. Someone's got to set it up, and someone's got to invite the others. So, hmm. who set up the first 
WhatsApp group? Signal group. Signal group. So you set it up, yeah. and who was the first person you added? I can't remember the exact member, to be honest. Um, but first of all, we set one up. Um, and what did you call it? Um, it was just like hub or something like that. <laughs> right, okay. um, and we, we, had, we had one for the, the Labour MPs at the time. And then there was quite a moment, actually, when we all came together and talked about our politics. Because it was like, clearly, we know each other and have become friends through campaigning against this disastrous Brexit nonsense. Um, but actually, does this go beyond that? And, and we'd come to realise we had a lot more in common with each other than a lot of people in the parties that we were in. But then we tested that and we sat down and talked. We went back to basis and just talked about what are our core values? Why are we doing this? Who are we as, as people? And uh, we were a bit nervous when we all met up for the first time. It was in, in my office and you kind of, because it was a news story, just us all being in the room talking about what we were talking about. And then we all bounced out and we just like, oh my gosh there is a different way of doing this and we don't have to be prisoners of a culture and a set of policies that we don't totally subscribe to. And we all bounced out. And at that moment, I thought, I think we could do something quite big here. Um, and we could actually bring together all the different progressive traditions that are currently sitting in other places under one roof. And I, 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 I remember you know, uh, some of our incredible staff, and we could not have done this without the team. Okay you know, these guys have given everything to helping make the last few weeks happen. But I'm saying to myself, I think we're going to do something quite big here, and I think we could genuinely transform our rotten, broken politics in this country, because there's a group of people prepared to put that before everything. And, uh, well, and the rest, I suppose, has been a bit of history. Whether we're a footnote or something bigger, frankly, is down to the audience and down to everybody out in the country. That's not up to us, but we, we can provide an alternative, and we're going to do it. <laughs> Um, but in the end, it's up to the people of this country whether they really want to change things. Mm. It's in their hands, not ours. I mean, there will still be fault lines, like there will be in any party. Uh, even, you know, every party is a coalition of some sort. Uh, and when you're having policy discussions in the first flushes of a new group, you're going to be more open-minded, aren't you? You're going to go, well, I sort of get what you're saying about social justice or about, you know, foreign policy. And then, and then in time, you know, Anna Subri supports um, you know, the, the coalition government's austerity programme. I'm guessing you don't. You know, is that a bigger divide as it seems on paper or, or can you reach a middle ground or is there a compromise that can be found on stuff like that? Well, interesting. I mean, Heidi is as much an opponent of what the recent government has done on welfare reform as I am. Uh, and so, there, you know, there are a lot of similarities, but I don't think the difference is a problem because the country is really divided, right? And if in our group, which comes from different political traditions, if we can reach a consensus, for example, on you know how we raise money and spend it, then I think we've got a much better chance of coming up with something that can actually unite the country. So I don't really see it as a problem, but maybe that's just because you know I, I, I committed blasphemy in the, the, the Labour Party by saying I'm not particularly tribal. I've never been particularly tribal. I don't think that if you voted Conservative at some point in your life, you are the devil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And some people in the Labour Party truly do think that. <laughs> you are evil if you voted for the Conservatives ever. And I actually just think, actually, you're another Brit, and you've got a slightly, you know, you've got a different view, but we all want a better country. So I don't see that as a problem. I see it as a strength. And the point is, is that the values are pretty much the same. Let's face it, you know, a lot of people in Labour and Conservative parties rail against each other and go hammer, you know, at, at it. But actually, there's a lot more common ground than people think. But you've got this ridiculous two-party system from the 20th century 
which is trying to, you know, kind of function now, and it's not. Well, it's artificial, isn't it? Totally because artificial. Because in life, in any other walk of life, you're just people. And you work out who are the people that you can work with. And when you're with the right kind of people, you know, in business, you might have come from competitors. But you sit around a table and you decide that's the product we want to design because there's a customer base out there that want it. You knock it around. Yeah. You, you don't label yourselves before you start that conversation. And I can't think of any other environment. You know, I came from business. Politics is so artificial in the way it's constructed. And therefore, when really big decisions come, really tough decisions that affect the country that people are intrinsically come comfortable with, whether it's welfare, spending, mm. taxation or Brexit, the model falls apart because it's not strong enough to withhold that. So if we strip all of that away and start from fundamental human basic principles of, I trust you, yeah, I think we can work this out. Mm. Aren't we going to build significantly better policy? But do you not, do you not as a, as a f former Conservative MP, think, oh, these lefties are a bit different? You know, <laughs> <laughs> banging on about socialism. Tea. Like, it's, herbal tea. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is that right? They, they drink herbal tea, the. Uh, Actually, Sarah them. Wallison drinks herbal tea, actually. Yeah. Do you know Heidi used to run a pub? Yeah. Whereabouts? Um, St Albans. And what was it called? The Farmer's Boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> someone knows it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know yeah. it? Yeah. Was it a good pub? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you go in? When did you go in? Because I sold it in 2008. Had you been in there pre-08? What do you say? I had my own microbrewery. <laughs> <laughs> I had my own microbrewery. I'll have you know. Ah, but were you doing like real lager or all this hoppy shit? <laughs> I didn't drink it, but I was told it was great. Hoppy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort? Of, would you ever allow lock-ins at your pub? Um, clearly not. Apart from with my husband, obviously, and his friends. I don't think that counts. Can't be a good public. You need to get up. I mean, this would be a great base for the party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about doing politics differently. I've always believed the successor alcohol programme. It works. It brings people together, I find. It, I absolutely agree. I think this is, I suppose, in a way, Farage cottoned onto that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was more of a lifestyle than policy. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today, um, you went to the Electoral Commission. To register as a party. Yeah. So what, what did you say to them and what did they say to you? What do you have to do next to become official? Well, it wasn't registering, really, was it? It was just no. fact-finding. Yeah. We wanted so. to find out, you know, what's the process? So uh, we obviously want to provide an alternative. That's what, you know, we had a... When you got to where we got to with our previous parties, you either could leave the field and go, right, I've done with politics and I'm not going to serve out the rest of my term, or you could stay and, you know, Take, take the opportunity that there is as members of parliament to provide the alternative. And what we wanted to find out is how do you do that? And to be able to give everybody a different option, we've got to be registered as a political party. And that is our goal, because we want to make sure you've got a choice so that you're actually voting for people that you want to vote for, mm. not people you feel you have to vote for or that you vote for to keep the other lot in. Yeah. We want to provide a positive alternative that can transform and change our country credibly in the right way, bring it together so that you can take us forward. And so that's what today was really about. So it's kind of processy, but we were kind of sitting there going, oh, you know, this is quite something really. You know, it's like a, we're starting something new here. Um, so that's, that's, you know, and we thought people would be losing interest, you know, uh, but 
media turned up. They're like, what are you doing? When are you setting this up? And we're kind of like, what's it going to do? What's it going to be called? Uh, do email in names. Please, if you want. Yeah, we need some help the with that. Theindependent.group. Um, it's deliberative. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it's surreal. It was very odd. It was quite table, surreal. Basically, with my fairly new mates. Um, talking about <laughs> forming a new political party. I mean, that is huge. That's just huge. It's massive. Massive. I mean, it's potentially... But rel relatively speaking, so easy. Perhaps a form you fill in, just yeah. some details. But you need a logo. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you probably need a, a, a you need a name before you need a logo. And you, mm -hmm. you need but yeah, both. You you have both, and you have. And the logo is optional. Yeah. You know, so. But you'd want a logo, wouldn't you? So. A few yeah. rosettes and things. Oh well, that's another thing. What colour rosette are you going to have? See, that's a tricky question. What colour? What colour yeah. should we? What colour do you think we should adopt? That? Well, blue. They've all gone, haven't they? Red. Yeah. Purple's gone. Yellow's gone. Green's gone. White. Well, we that's what we're using at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that that stands out. It does that. I think yeah. Al Murray might have used it when he stood against Nigel <laughs> Rush <laughs> for the uh, fuck up party. So that might not yeah. talk to him about it. Slight brand issue, though. But maybe. white looks kind of, it's more striking, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe white then. Maybe white? But it's, it, this is the thing is that um, what we're hoping is over the, 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 the coming months that everybody will get involved in the process. And we genuinely, I mean, lots of people say they want to do new politics, kinder, gentler politics. It didn't turn out to be quite so kind or gentle, uh, particularly when I got death threats from the leader's uh, supporters. But, um, uh, but we do, we're trying to do things differently. And we did a lot of work, actually, certainly amongst the former Labour colleagues when we started having the conversations that Mike was talking about, just getting to know each other and to understand how we got to this place that we got to. And... Uh, Authenticity gets talked a lot about in politics, and it's generally defined by how extreme you are. So the more like Rhys Mogg like you are, the more authentic you are, the more you know Corbyn like, the more authentic you are. But we we were determined to be true to ourselves and tell our own personal stories at our respective press conferences about who we were, where we've come from, and what our values are to shape uh, to shape this journey. And so, you know, we're hoping that loads of people are joining the journey and the adventure with us to try and do something different here. And we might, look, we might fall flat on our faces, but the way I see it is, I think people are thoroughly fed up. They look at this rotten thing, and they look at both the, the established parties in particular and think, my God, you know, is this what it's is come it? to? Is that it? And we can actually do, it doesn't have to be that way. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So what sort of time frame are you looking at? I mean, do you think by the next general election you're going to have to have 650 candidates in place? 
you know, vetting people is going to be difficult, the infrastructure setting up a party. I mean, you've made the important emotional first step, but there's a whole stuff that goes along with political parties. And you say you want to do things differently, but there are certain things you'll have to do the same, won't you? You will have to have vetting processes similar to the ones that Labour and the Tories had. I think maybe better ones. Better vetting processes. Yeah, oh, yeah. ones that Some work. vetting processes. Yeah, ones that root yeah. out racists would be really handy. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that would definitely be a point of difference. But there is, you must. Write that down. But no racist. No racist. But it will inevitably be, won't they? Because all political parties attract odd people. And inevitably, you're going to want to do things differently. You're going to want to do things differently, but inevitably, you're going to have to end up getting rid of some kind of, you know, we're talking years in the future. Mm. But well, the, I the think, problems I, that beset parties... I think it would be, not, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it would, one of the strengths of our group, I think, and of course, you know, people talked about the SDP, for example. Now, I think what we're doing is very different to the SDP. SDP was basically Labour 2.0, whereas what we're trying to create is a home for the One Nation tradition, the Liberal tradition, the centre-left tradition, all under one roof, which I think is materially different. And we're not kind of for establishment grandees. And if you look at our crew, you've got a former, you know, you've got the a fact form- you've called it a crew. <laughs> but you've got a former GP, a social worker, a lecturer, a teacher, a TV presenter, a solicitor, a former landlady, astrophysicist. We've actually got a really diverse range of experience there that we all draw on. And so I think this will be an incredible opportunity to bring people into politics from all different walks of life. Because, you know, if you look at the kind of complexion and where, you know, where people have come from and stuff in the House of Commons, it doesn't represent modern Britain. And we're two-thirds women as well. I mean, we're more representative than any other group in the House of Commons. And we've only been going for three weeks. But just think what we could do. <laughs> you know, think what we could it's do. Three weeks. It, it, it seems like, yeah. <laughs> seems like three years. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, but this is a massive opportunity mm. to really change the whole thing fundamentally transform this thing. That's the prize. Because from the outside, it looks so impenetrable. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, I, I thought it would be more difficult to become an MP. I mean, don't get me wrong, I worked my socks off. <laughs> but it is, from the outside, when you've been doing whatever you've been doing in life, it's this machine, isn't it? This established machine. Yeah. How on earth can you get in there? Okay, we managed to break in, but to change it, mm. that's huge. But we shouldn't be scared of that, because it is just people, right? And it's a building, and it's people. So if we stick together and talk to people, and more importantly, listen to people, then we have got to have as good a shot as any. But we've just got to be brave enough to challenge that it doesn't always have to be like that. Part of the problem with modern politics is absolutely that perception, but it's also the way that politicians talk and behave. And one of the problems for the sort of post-New Labour era was that it felt like it didn't... Although the people were well-meaning, it felt like it was managerial speak and things like that. Is that something that you're keen to avoid? Uh, stylistically, as a party, you're gonna, you know, what can you learn from people like Farage? Is, is are there actual? But in all seriousness, do you think actually, in all seriousness, stylistically, do you think actually we are going to be slightly less managerial? We are going to speak our minds a bit more. We're going to allow rough got, edges. Look, I just think we've got to be ourselves. Yeah. You know, we're a really diverse group of different generations, different backgrounds from different parts of the country, and so I don't think we need to try and do something that other people are doing or try and be something that we're not. I think too many people who are basically centre ground people who want to change our country 
feel that we have to mimic the extremes or the populists in politics, where actually we should be true to ourselves, proud of what we believe in and confident. We should stop running away and being cowed either by the kind of hard left people who troll you and abuse you or the crazy people on the right. You know, I, I just, that's, why should they rule the roost? Please, <laughs> why? Why should they, why, you know, I don't believe that's where most of our country is. I really don't. And for the last few years, we've all been told to shut up. You, 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 this kind of elite metropolitan bunch of people, you know, look at my borough. We're not elite and we're proud of being metropolitan, but God, we're not, you know, drinking champagne and sipping lattes all day long because it's hard in Lambeth for a lot of people that I represent. So I think we should, we should be proud of who we are, be authentic, be true to ourselves. Don't, we don't need to pretend to be someone we're not. That authentic word always makes me laugh because that's like just getting up in the <laughs> morning and like being your, like, the person that you are. Yeah. I don't know how you can be anything else. Inauthentic. Yeah, how would Was, you do that? I don't yeah, know. Not get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, maybe stay <laughs> there. <laughs> in fact, I, I, a lot of people still do that. Actually, so <laughs> so shouldn't uh, slag them but, off. But to try and, try, try and, try and make Got a lot of mates who don't get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I envy Good them people, right now. Yeah. But to try and be someone else is like seriously hard work. I don't know even how you do that. Really? In terms of your two ambitions then, Chuck and First, you're someone who, for many years people said, well, this guy's the next leader of the Labour Party, frequently a bookie's favourite to be the next Prime Minister. Now you've left the Labour Party and put your own seat at risk. I mean, in terms of your own personal ambition... <laughs> the call about and I get, call, I get called a careerist. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, right, so... You sort of careered off. I, I, I careered <laughs> off. <laughs> you know. Like, what else do I have to do to prove I'm not a careerist, you know? I pulled out of a leadership contest, I resigned from the shadow cabinet, you know, like you said, I've possibly given up my seat. Um, Join the Lib Dems? <laughs> that's the last thing that's on the list. That's the last thing on the list. But, um, <laughs> but you, I think you've got to... Uh, it's, you have your ups and your downs in this, yeah. uh, this, job, yeah. this crazy world of politics. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that we've had the kind of reception that we never imagined we would. Um, Not on your iPad. <laughs> no, 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 but it's just, <laughs> hey. But it, it, it's, uh, you know, I still get the, you know, the Twitter people go, oh, chuck up, why don't you chuck away or something like that. I get all this kind of stuff. But generally, um, we've had a much better reception than we ever imagined we would. But, you know, it's, never, it's not gonna be like this forever. No, no. We're gonna have our ups and our downs. It's gonna be bloody difficult what we're trying to do here. But I kind of feel like I was never somebody who wanted to retire in politics. I was not going to do a Ken Clark for 48 years. I do, you know. But I think while we're in it, um, we, you, if you're going to do it, do it for the right reasons and do it properly. And we feel politically homeless like millions of other people. And we have this privileged position to be able to actually do something about it. And for me, this is like a far much more exciting project than anything I think I've ever done in politics before. Um, because I just think our, our, our politics is crying out for change. It is just so stale, appalling. I mean, just look at the teams that you're being offered to lead our country. I mean, I don't know about you, but Mike Games, that's your foreign secretary right there. That's a proper foreign secretary who will deliver the goods for our country. So Mike Games, foreign secretary. Uh, Luciana Berger is home affairs. Um, uh, she's about to give birth. She spent a lot of time at home in the next few years. <laughs> in fact, we, we have a small gift for her. You got a gift yeah. for her? Because she can't be here tonight. Yeah. What so, it's a bit naughty, really. What is it? Small item of clothing. That's not going to fit her. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. That's so cool. So made that specially. So this because she can't be in. It feels a bit mean that she's missing out on this. And when's so. the baby due? Um, anytime soon. Anytime soon. So it could be any time now. Yeah. Right. So, so this will be the first gift. Yes. The, the first new tea. Isn't that cool? Yeah. We'll get a photo of it. <laughs> Do you want one? One of those? Yeah. Yeah. Get I mean, your I don't large one too. <laughs> <laughs> Onesie. Oh, that's so cool. Well, um, she's not here with us and she's missing out, so yeah. we could do that for her. Uh, it, it, it has been, I mean, I don't want to dwell on the emotion of it all, um, but for Luciana's gone through an incredible amount of abuse. And what, what's fascinating when you see people interviewed about Luciana, even Corbyn, is that people go, well, they shouldn't have left, but I kind of understand why Luciana left. And if it's okay for Luciana to leave, then surely it's okay for people to leave in solidarity. Uh, what has really struck me, is obviously it's sort of rude to ask this about her with her not being here, but it seems as though Jeremy Corbyn genuinely did not talk to her at all during the period when she was being racially abused, which is astonishing, if true. Do you know if that's true? Did he speak to her during that period? He hardly spoke to her at all. Um, I think one of the, you know, there were certain things that led to us all coming to the decision that we came to. Um, I, I just cannot abide where the Labour Party has been on Brexit. I think it will be a historic betrayal. It will go down as a historic betrayal of future generations in this country. This time last year, hearing the Labour leadership parrot the same propaganda and lines from the Russian embassy on the Scripple case was one thing. But I think the thing that tipped a lot of people over the edge was the anti-Semitism and racism in the Labour Party. And I have to confess, I didn't realise how bad it was. I, 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 a, a former college principal, actually, in my area informed me of his experience after we left, actually, of the anti-Semitism that he'd been facing as a Jewish person just locally. And it's been horrifying. But I think the thing that I found so dispiriting is how many people have just acted as bystanders. Mm -hmm. And so many former colleagues in the Parliamentary Labour Party would send texts and messages privately of support to Luciana and other Jewish Labour MPs, but would not have the balls to say so publicly. And if you are not prepared to stand up against racism and call it out, what the hell are you doing in a so-called progressive party? But there were a lot of people who just went along with it and wouldn't just sit in parliamentary Labour Party meetings, but sit in shadow cabinet and say nothing about it. And that is the, one of the things that I found most disappointing. You know, they wouldn't even, after Luciana gave some incredibly powerful speeches at parliamentary Labour Party meetings, they wouldn't even give her an ovation or clap for fear of being seen to do so by the leadership. And I just thought, what on earth is going on here? And how can you be a part of this? Because you're sponsoring it in a way. You're facilitating it. And When you um, say that to them, what do they say to you? You have some really difficult conversations. I mean, there's a, there's a huge amount of interest how many other people will get up and leave the party. And you have these heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people. And you know, sometimes people are just honest. They're just like, I agree with you. I know what you're saying. But I've got my mortgage to pay. I had a colleague say that. Oh, man. And you're like, but you Corbyn shouldn't... must have paid off his mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clearly not. Yeah. But it's, it's that, that, that's really dispiriting and really, really disappointing. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I think the Labour Party is, is, is being changed irrevocably. It is a new and different party to the one it, the, that I joined anyway 22 years ago. But the, the fact that there are still people who say it's a smear, who troll, um, even if you say something supportive of Luther, you then get trolled. Yeah. Um, 
and you, it's just appalling. I never ever thought the Labour Party would have reached this place. Um, and I cannot believe that people go along with it, are happy to act as bystanders on it, are happy to serve on a front bench of, uh, of a leadership that has overseen this. I, I, can't, I can't get my head around it. I really can't get my head around it. And I think that was the thing that surprised people, actually, with the... Uh, I was surprised at the reaction of a lot of parliamentary colleagues because, you know, that there was a bit, slightly, this attitude that, you know, it's particularly terrible because of what's happened to Luciana. She's also pregnant, etc. But the rest of them, it's okay. You know, they were just, you know, these discontented malcontents. But I think the power of the argument is undeniable in so many levels. And uh, I'm all getting rather serious. <laughs> but it's serious stuff. I mean, the anti-Semitism has had a, a huge amount of coverage uh, in the media and since in the Labour Party. There's a, a discussion reignited this week about Islamophobia mm. in the Tory party. Is it as bad a side of RZ says it is? Um, what I hope genuinely, because, um, you know, arguably I could say, well, I'm out of it, so why do I care? But this stuff, when it takes <coughs> on institutional and you don't wish that on any organisation, I hope it isn't the tip of the iceberg that the anti-Semitism thing became in the Labour Party. Because um, me, my personal experience, I haven't seen it. But if you listen to Saeed Awasi, who's one of our peers, she feels like she is literally banging her head against mm -hmm. a brick wall and having Brandon Lewis, the party chairman, acting like la la la, there's nothing to see here. Mm. So I hope it is smaller, but the passion with which she attacks it and wants to challenge it makes me fear that we are, I was, well you were, um, <coughs> 10 years ago. Because mm. I, I worry that it, it, it could be as big. Um, but she, she's determined to call it out and she's absolutely right to do that. But the problem is if you don't get the leadership, this is the problem, right? The leadership set the tone. They do nothing, they And they the signal, fence. yeah? And this is the problem on anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. And if you look at the different actions of the, the, the leader of the Labour Party over time, it, it kind of sets a tone. And likewise with the Islamophobia, which I do believe is, um, has, there is an institutional problem in the Conservative Party too. Uh, I remember when I sat on the Home Affairs Select Committee having an exchange with Theresa May about this. And she went and wrote a piece, I think it was in The Sun, about how if Sadiq Khan became the mayor of London, Britain, uh, sorry, London would be less safe. And there was only one, one reason that she was saying that. And I said to her, I said, will you repeat that now? We now have Sadiq Khan as the mayor of London. Uh, it was one of my last kind of sessions on the Home Affairs Set Committee. Do you believe we are now less safe in the city? And she refused to agree with what she'd said before. And I said, well, you now apologize. And she refused to apologize. And if you, this is the thing, if you don't get the leadership from the top on these things, mm -hmm. then you just end up in the gutter which is basically where both parties have ended up in some of these things. There was a big reason, obviously, for, for, for so many of you leaving Labour. Uh, but on that first day, having cited racism as a reason for leaving, two hours later, <laughs> Angela Smith goes on Politics Live and, and slightly stops herself from saying, uh, you know, racism is just about whether you're black or mm. have a funny tinge. Um, she later said that she was tired, um, which I, I don't know if... Don't know if other people get racist when they're tired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I must, must be gone midnight, I've just joined the EDL. Uh, <laughs> laughing. Not a funny thing. Well, but it was... It, it was a wrong thing. It was, a, it was, it was a wrong thing well, and she, she apologised. How, 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 how was it explained? I mean, well, I think that, is Angela racist? But the thing is, look, I, my family have been victims of racism. And talk is cheap, right? You can say that you're not racist. 
and you can subscribe, you can say, hey, look, um, I, I disagree with all forms of discrimination. But in the end, what matters are your actions. And the question is, what did Angela do after she said what she said? And less than an hour later, she apologized. She didn't, she didn't make any excuses for what she said other than, you know, she explained that she was tired, but she wasn't excusing it. And she said that what she said was wrong. Now compare and contrast that to how the established parties have responded. A Labour Party in complete denial that it has an institutional problem with anti-Semitism and a Conservative Party that can't even see Islamophobia. Whereas less than an hour after she said what she said, she was absolutely clear that it was the wrong thing to say. Now, I, under, I, I, I could see what was going on in her head, and she was trying to find the right words and came out with the wrong words. Uh, uh, and, you know, what she said wasn't, you know, in any way acceptable. But she said that herself and corrected it very quickly after. And that's, what I, that, that's for me, as somebody of colour who has been a victim of racism, it's the actions for me that really matter. And she did the right thing in sorting it out. Did you say to her, fucking hell, Angela? <laughs> Day one! Well, I know that I, I actually, I was like, <laughs> I didn't realise what had happened. So we'd all be running, like, like Mike said, Mike did 28 different interviews. <laughs> so we, you weren't following what everybody was saying. And I was like, what, why? I didn't understand. And then I looked at it and I watched it and I thought, you know, this is not good. <laughs> This is not great. Yeah. Um, but then I also knew that Angela would be absolutely horrified about it, and yeah. she was horrified and very upset about it. Um, and that's the other difference as well, that coming from both political parties where if you say something that's offline, it wasn't something I ever particularly developed a skill in, to be online, um, but if you say something offline, you are shunned, you're ignored, backs are turned on you, um, whereas we turned in. We saw she was apologetic, she came straight out, realised she made a mistake, and this is our team, and we've got your back. It's okay, we trust you, we know it was an error, you apologise straight away, and we're there to support each other. Now, that itself, in a political environment, does not exist. And that's one of the key differences, I think, for us, and why we deserve to, to look out for each other and to trust each other and therefore be able to do things differently. And people make mistakes in politics. It's, it's about how you handle them, it's about how the individual, how the group that. handles yeah, it. Absolutely. And the, you know, it, the fact that she apologised did... It moved it on, um, but obviously it wasn't sort of it was it, it, it on the first day. But it, it sort of it hasn't hampered really the the, the perception of the group. It doesn't seem well, because we were dealt with it. We dealt with it, and we were honest about it. We didn't seek to make excuses about it, and somehow say, "Oh well, you know, she missed." Me. We just thought it was wrong, and she said it was wrong. But you're now polling. I mean, there was there was a YouGov poll out. I think a, a week into the the the, the tick the um, the tickers that said. Um, you were polling at 14%, you were, you were out polling the Lib Dems, most of that support seems to be coming from Labour. I mean, it, it, it seems that what the, what the public seem to want is a, a, a broadly a group around the centre uh, with, with no leader and no policy. So how do you maintain <laughs> How do you maintain that? I think it's going to be a doddle, to be honest. <laughs> the, the high is going to be difficult to maintain. Because yeah. the expectation is there now. People are hungry for this. We've given them a taste of it. And now what? Now what? And that's going to be hard because the last thing we want to do is pull out a manifesto out of our back pocket and here's one I made earlier. Because yeah. it's just going to be a reworded version of everything you've read before. Now we actually want to go and talk to people. Go around the country, um, area by area, policy by policy, and talk to people, talk to experts. We like experts. Evidence <laughs> is a good thing, we think, um, about what would change the way the country manages itself. And if you want to do that, 
then that takes time. So the challenge will be keeping people's appetite and excitement um, there whilst we're going out and doing kind of the slow measured stuff. But in the long run, I think that will hold us in much better uh, good stead if we take the time to do that right. We can talk, I mean, you, the things that bind you together, you, you, you're pro-European, you're anti-Brexit, that's something that you, you all have in common. Um, it, where the crunch is going to come, I, I get what my guess is that it's a kind of patriotic party in the sense that maybe Labour isn't in the sense that um, you're slightly proud of British history, you're less allergic to the Union Jack than, you know... We like our country. You like your country. Um, Defence and security might take more of a priority with this group, um, just given the things that people have said in the past. I mean, in terms of Russian intervention in, you know, not just our democracy, but as you say, on the streets of Salisbury, in terms of the questions that this group would ask of a government, would it be a return to the New Labour-ish foreign policy? Would it be more interventionist, perhaps, than Corbyn would have been in places like Syria? Well, I think... I think that. Before that, the question is, what is it to be progressive? So I describe this progressive politics that pulls in the One Nation, the centre-left and the Liberal. And I think ultimately what distinguishes the politics is that it is very future-facing. So it isn't about replaying the tracks of the past, whether it's a 1950s kind of prescription or 1970s prescription. It's about actually looking at the future challenges that we face. And... Say, take technology, right? You're streaming this, you're doing a, a, a podcast. Now, technology can be a force for good, but you know, we know through, I mean, we're talking about Luciana's experience, it would be a force for bad as well. So how do we actually get this tech revolution that is unfolding around us to act, how do we marshal that to deliver for people and be a force for good? Now, in some respects, the solution might be a right-wing one when you're looking out for people's private property and their intellectual property, and you know, there's worries about it being nicked and used from, by people through technology. But in other respects, in terms of how do we make sure that we don't just have a tiny group of individuals, a few Mark Zuckerbergs who own it all, and we have diversified ownership of these things, which, you know, these platforms that concentrate power has a small number of people, that's actually quite a left-wing proposition in terms of your policy solutions. So I think what makes this politics different is not about kind of, you know, the mushy middle and, you know, dodging and hiving. You might have a solution that can get you to your goal, which is left-wing, but you might have one that's right-wing. But, but we've set out the values and the goals that we want to achieve, but it's not about being ideological about what the solutions are. So I think that is kind of broadly the approach. And we probably, I think, you know, we probably, are, you know, as a group of people, are quite hawkish on defence and foreign policy and believe that we have to have a strong defence to safeguard the security of this country. I mean, look, it's one of the main reasons I left the Labour Party. I would not trust Jeremy Corbyn and his team with our national security. It's not personal. I just don't believe that they are fit, uh, you know, to be able to do that. And I think you've got to be honest about that. But I think it's probably, you know, can we spell out each and every single policy now? No, because what would be the point of doing the deliberative process that Heidi was talking about with the people who are going to say what our manifesto is now? Yeah, but we want our consultations work. Like, you say you're listening, but you've kind of made up your mind a, really, your we, mind a little bit. We really bit. haven't. We really haven't. This is starting again. This is politics built from the ground up by talking to people. Because you are our customers. We are there because you put us there. And if we, you know, where politics has gone wrong and why the country is so fractured at the moment is because we've stopped listening. We started making stuff up ourselves in this Westminster bubble. We have got to break the mould of that. But it's slow and it's hard slog. 
So no, we're not going to pull out a manifesto, something we've designed earlier. Yes, there might be themes, there might be things, because not everything is bad, but we have to start again. People recognise it's going to be difficult, but we need to be patient, and we hope we can deliver something better. So do you have a time frame in mind for what happens next and where you want to be? The next election, would you want to field a nation's worth of candidates on a... Yes. Presumably a manifesto. Election. Yes, yeah. of course. So I think, I mean, by the end of the year, we will need to have formed a new party. Uh, I, I think that's uh, very much in, you know, our minds. Um, we came out of the meeting with the Electoral Commission today um, of the view we've got to set up a new party. It's the only way we can actually stand candidates. And the first stage will be our change politics project. And we'd encourage everybody to get involved with that, which we're going to be launching in the next few weeks. Um, the independent.group, go onto it, sign donate. up, uh, donate, help us out <laughs> so that we can actually compete um, with the establishment. Uh, and then out of that process, that will help shape the structure of a new party. Um, and then, of course, we need policy positions. Uh, that and not entrenched in silos either. Because guess what? Mental health, who knew, cuts across work, housing. Health, you know, it's not just in sync, and that we have to get out of. That's probably our first arguments, actually, talking about policy. That you, you know, it doesn't work when you just put how homelessness it isn't just about housing. It's about mental health. It's about addiction. It's about debt. Yeah. It's about welfare. It's about everything. So that's going to be a challenge as well. We can't just work in the same blocks as we always have. We need to look right across the piece. What's so refreshing about that is that that's the public know that. But so few politicians. Well, exactly. But that's that's. But, but, <laughs> but so few politicians have ever said it, and, uh, and that's what's I think really exciting about this. Quite apart from the fact that you have left behind two organisations that were really uninhabitable for mm -hmm. people who don't like being bullied. It, it, there's also just the hope for those of us that, that like a bit of what happens in politics, but not all of it. That, that it, it's someone who worked for the Labour Party disagreed with a lot of the way it behaved even when I adored it and voted for it, was that a lot of the practices were, were, were arcane and, and Oh, the whole way mad. that that place operates is ridiculous, honestly. I remember when I first went in, so I was elected in 2010, and I remember going to for my first PMQs, and I walked through the members' lobby with Rory Stewart, who'd just come back, you know, he'd been governoring Af one of the provinces in Afghanistan, and we walked in and we were like, what is this, you know, and people going, hey, 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 and shouting and doing all this stuff, and, you know, Bang tapping and banging, and then just like, this is not how normal people <laughs> behave. And then slowly, we were sitting in there, like, and we started, you find you start getting institutionalized, and you start making the same noises, and you're like, no, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, the whole way that place is set up is so old-fashioned, and like, PMQs is the worst advert for British politics. Oh, it's such God. a waste of time. Yeah, but... Abolish the thing, right? No, 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 no. Abolish it. <laughs> Abolish it and replace it with something more meaningful. Like, I would actually change the whole way not that we're set up. Not no, but I think it's a complete turn off. But it's only because Corbyn and May aren't very good at it. No, <laughs> they're not. They, they aren't very good at it. But like but the Blair Hagueys, man, they were like. No, it's, it's, it's a load. Look, the box it's, yeah. it's a load of bollocks. No, like... It is a load of bollocks, and the whole way that that place is set up is to encourage us it's to have show, an it? argument, yeah. and it's theatre, but it's all bullshit. 
Yeah. A lot of it is. And we've got to move on from that. It's organised bullshit as well. It's organised bullshit, but it is. Yeah. But you could still have. So you've still got select committees and departmental questions and urgent questions. Mm. All but that. that's all good. Yeah. So let us just keep that one little bit. <laughs> it's like the mad bit, the funny bit, like the, the, the eccentric bit. There is, there is There's some... plenty of eccentric I, bits in there, trust me. That's my favourite think... TV show, man. Don't cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it is, I'd abolish PMQs. I, I don't know, what do you, what does yeah, our audience think? Oh, like, let's do a poll here. Can we get the lights up? But right. do it in parliamentary noises. Yeah. <laughs> let's, get the, let's get the yeah, lights yeah, up. Yeah. We will, this is deliberative, right? <laughs> Put your hands up if you like PMQs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no, we better keep the it then. <laughs> but, but if you don't, yeah. but who, if you thinks don't. It, who thinks it's a load of bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> Your mind up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. We not learn. Never ask a binary question. <laughs> Don't like referendums. So, yeah. That's how we got into the people's vote. We need a people's vote. <laughs> 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 okay. Oh right. Well, let's uh, let's open the floor to uh, some questions. Uh, please indicate clearly. I'll we'll try and get round as many as possible. Yes, the lady down at the front here. I'll take it round if you like, Daisy. Quicker. So very much. Let us know your name uh, and your question. We can have a one-sentence question and one-sentence answers, please. Thank, Thank you. you. My, my name is Isla. Um, my question was, you've talked a lot about progressive politics tonight and how you want to change things. I was wondering how much you think our voting system is mm -hmm. the problem oh. there and whether moving to PR would enable like smaller parties like yourselves yeah. to be able to gain a bit more traction. And, and also parties like the Greens and whatever else that are like, kind of get a lot of support in the country, but they don't necessarily kind of turn out in the seats. Yeah. That's a really good question. So we'll, uh, if everyone could indicate, firstly with their left hand, if they agree <laughs> in principle, and then we'll take a second vote with people's right hands, we'll then transfer the second vote. <laughs> <laughs> but do you agree with electoral reform, proportional representation? Um, I do, although interestingly, not for the reasons you suggest, although it would kind of help us out. Um, it would um, help parties, but actually for voters to feel that their vote matters. Um, I'm not convinced if the PR model, as it's described right now, is necessarily the right one, but I think a variation of some extra kind of layer, I think, um, I think every single one of us, in fact. Yeah, I'd like the additional that. member system, which is a form of proportional representation. We use it in London, we use it in Scotland, we use it in Wales. And if it's good enough for those places, it's good enough for the UK. Scrap this first-past-the-post nonsense. It's undemocratic, it's unfair, and it deprives people of their voice. And it ends up with two dysfunctional parties, with different parties within the parties involved in an abusive relationship with each other. Let's do something different, change it, definitely. Excellent. Uh, yes, the gentleman there. Um, the, the, thank you very much for the, the evening so far. My name's Andrew. Uh, I'm just wondering how you go to build the electoral machine that you will need to fight both the Labour and the Conservative Party who have a pretty impressive apparatus behind the scenes. Good idea. Where's the dark money coming from? <laughs> you. Oh, I'm gone. <laughs> um, well, from the ground up. So to give you an idea, it was a question you asked to um, our first panel, to Anna and to Mike, um, about the, how your constituents have responded. And every seat is different. But to give you an idea, in South Cambridge, in my seat, I've had at the last count, pushing just over 2,500 constituents email me, telling me I've done the right thing and how can we help. Wow. And 41, not so sure. 
<laughs> 41,000. <laughs> yes, the entire lecture thinks I'm rubbish. Um, wow. So, so people are excited out there. And we've and got a hard, and how many, I don't know how many people signed up on our website now. So we've had tens of thousands of people sign up on the website. Uh, we had several thousand people give small donations within the first 18 hours of our existence as a group. Wow. Our website crashed at one point because 700,000 people were trying to get on it at once every second for a period. Um, so there's clearly an appetite out there. And I think that, I mean, the question is a good one. And I think what puts us in a different situation to others who've tried to do this in the past is that we have the benefit of technology to provide yeah. you with the apparatus to go and start your own group um, in your local area. And so that's where we can really use this technology, which sometimes in politics can be used for appalling purposes, and dare I say it, to cheat. But we can actually use it to build organization from the bottom up and give you the tools if you, if you like our values, you like what we're saying, to go and start something up in your area. So that's, that's what we can do. But it is David and Goliath stuff, it really is. Yeah. The independent.group is where you can... <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, hashtag. Yeah. Uh, yes, the gentleman on the donate, other end. Donate. Is there anyone else? <laughs> Of your ex-colleagues, is there one that you would pick out who you think should or could that you really admire and should join the independent group with you? Oh, so pick your favourite colleague. That's a great question, you know. Um, you go first. <laughs> um, God, I've got a range, actually. Um, I'd really like Justine Greening. Cool. It's like sort of an NFL draft where you can. <laughs> this is great. Justine Green would be great. Uh, Chuck, is there anyone on the Labour side that. There's a lot, side? actually, and there are a lot of people on a journey. Um, but do not are? underestimate. <laughs> do you know what? I kind of think if I, if I name them now, yeah. uh, just how things are in the Labour Party, yeah, I'm going true. to unleash God knows what on them. And I don't really want to do that. And I think the problem at the moment is, is that it's a very it. frightening thing to do to leave your party. Yeah. Um, on a number of different levels, but it's terrifying for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, so I, I won't name any, but there are a huge number of colleagues. I would love them to come on the journey with us. And, but you've kind of got to accept you may lose your seat, and you've also got to have come to the conclusion that the Labour Party is irretrievable and cannot mm. perform the function that it used to in British politics. So I just really hope they'll get to that place. It's fine because a lot of people say, God, you look really happy at the moment. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, you don't have to be a prisoner. You know, you, 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 you don't have to be a prisoner. You don't have to be uh, a victim. Uh, Luciana said that she doesn't see herself as a victim. Um, you know, we all have autonomy to do our thing and to be true to our values and our, you know, to, to maintain our integrity. Um, and I just urge people to, to realize that and see it and... It's possible. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually. We were all saying that our other halves have been saying to us, God, you're like different people. You know, you're happy. You're oh, happy. nice role play. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, cha it's, cha thing. <laughs> it's changed all of us, in a way. It has. And, and we look at Mark and we're all smiling, aren't yeah, we? It's great. Know. We're all smiling. Uh, yes, there's the lady in the red jumper there with her hand up. I felt for a while that the, the reason that the, uh, the Brexit referendum went one way was because um, we've spent, I don't know, at least a decade now not defending our relationship with Europe. So why would having another referendum now like, solve anything? You know, we, we, we've done nothing to change that at all, well, as much as I'd love to think so we have. 
Um, I suppose from my point of view, a second referendum isn't something I crave. I don't want it because we all know what it unleashed last time. So it is kind of last chance saloon. But the fact is, you know, the reason, and there are many, many reasons that different MPs will give you around why they can't coalesce around the deal or no deal or whatever it might be, is because in their hearts, the vast majority of them know it's going to make their constituents poorer. So they just can't do it. And for the other dynamics that are kicking around, bullying, and what your manifesto said, how the majority of your constituents think they vote, what your association, what your local parties say, all of that stuff conflicts in your head. So I don't want it, but I accept that it's a reality of Parliament probably not being able to coalesce around anything. And actually, if we are going to have this grown-up modern conversation between the electorate and Parliament, this is too big for our shoulders. The effect potentially on the economy in our country is too big just for us to take. And if we're serious about democracy, it doesn't end on one day, and we need your help to steer our way through that. And it could be ugly, but ultimately I think we're going to end up there. But we shouldn't be scared of this fear of yellow jackets coming out and bullying us. I mean, hello, what kind of country is this? We are bigger and better and stronger than that. This is the biggest decision we will make for generations and I think we'll be better for it as a society if we make that decision together. <laughs> I have nothing to add, I agree. <laughs> okay, I think there's time for one more, and let's go to the balcony. There is a man up there. Sorry, Daisy. I'll challenge Annika. You're making a run all the way you up. You could keep your uh, arm up there, mate, because someone's going to come. Uh, Daisy's about to emerge with the microphone for what will be the final audience question of the night and therefore the best, so no pressure. A party name. Need a party name. Oh, we need a party name as well. If anyone says, we'll, we'll take this, then we'll take any party name suggestions, which could be uh, included. Here we go. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say, um, I think all four of you have come across as just really human tonight, and uh, it's really stood out, so thank you for that. Um, one, one, my local MP is Justine, is Justine Greening, and she's a fabulous MP. She's across all the local issues. She, you know, my local park was being developed and made recommendations to that, and she's just absolutely on top of all the issues. Um, I would hope, personally, she would join you guys. I'm sure there are conversations. But if she doesn't, um, and you rightly talk about fielding candidates across the country at the next election, that, that has to be the goal. What, how would, with someone like Justine Greening, who you might want to join further down the line, and you would effectively be looking to, to topple her, uh, so, and, but like, it's, it's so tough, isn't it, because I understand why you would look to do that, but she's a fabulous MP as well, so what, what would be, how would you reconcile those two? Good question. I'm going to let you answer this one, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope that uh, Justine and many others like her will join us. Um, and that's the ultimate solution to the challenge that you, you've set out. Um, this isn't about taking out anybody, it's not personal, but our politics <laughs> is broken and uh, it does require bravery to take a step back from the establishment and provide an answer and a solution to that. And people are going to have to really dig deep into their souls and ask themselves the question whether they want to do that. And it's scary, there is no certainty, um, uh, but ultimately it's the right thing for our country. We cannot carry on like this. It's an embarrassment. 
it really is an embarrassment. Our politics isn't being true to who we are as a country, and it does need people to put their political careers on the line to do something about it. Um, there's no hiding from it. There's no hiding place from the chaos and that embarrassment. But there is a place you can go where you do something about it and you act. And if you're not prepared to do that, why are you in this job? And so that would be my message. Who am I let to lecture a former cabinet minister like Justine? But I really hope that she and many others who think the same as her in Parliament will join us and try and do something here for our people in this country because I just think you all deserve so much better than the nonsense, as I said, we've been seeing over these last few years. Um, so I'm going to speak off the cuff now, getting in trouble probably. But here's a wild and crazy thought. If we're fast-forwarding however many years and Justine, for example, still hasn't made the jump, possibly we'd be happy for her to stay where she was because she would still be a strong voice like ours in Parliament. And we'd be less obsessed about the Tories getting 50 seats and Labour getting 60 seats. It would be about having the right brains and the right souls and the right hearts in Parliament. So if she was mentally and emotionally still where she is today, and I can't ever imagine her changing, then I think we'd still probably rather have her. I, I could see that. Decent to stand against Rick Brady, though. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Copy that <laughs> <laughs> so well, a, probably come to honestly, train ourselves more. How in is that? That's a good question. Here. How is that man? <laughs> how is that man? <laughs> how on earth is he still in government? <laughs> honestly, I mean. Yeah, I read this in the paper today. I was like, the health secretary turned up to answer a question for him yesterday. Am I right in that? Really? Yeah. And I was just like... There's an opportunity, <laughs> an opportunity for us, I sense. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone got a party name other than ga uh, Gapes of Wrath? <laughs> the Inbetweeners. The Inbetweeners? That's brilliant. <laughs> I like that. Chuck up, old man, I'd be a good Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck up, old man, I'd be a good Prime Minister. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Are we limited to six words? We learned that today. Six oh, really? Words. Yeah. Does that include the word party? Oh, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> We need to get better with detail. Yeah, if it includes the and party. No, I think, I think it's everything. I think you at every the name there party. is a party. What's that? <laughs> party. Come to sell the brand. Yeah. <laughs> Were there any more party suggestions? Progressives. Progressives? Yeah, I, because you all, because, you know, the far left and the far right in this country are not yeah. progressives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I agree with you on that. <laughs> progressives? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> any others? It's hard. It's hard. I've never it's heard hard. that one before. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, politics um, live. <laughs> um, uh, progressives seems like a sense. Do you like that, Matt? Well, as a former member of Progress. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. But as, would that be an issue, do you think, the Progress brand or not? But this is the thing. When you're out of that, that kind of echo chamber... It doesn't matter. Copyright law doesn't apply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but progressives would be in a, would be, I mean, that seems like... Well, I think we are. I think we're, I think we're progressive. I'd rather be progressive than regressive, I suppose. But, yeah. I think that's, that's the thing, that's the common thread going through all of us. So. You might have just named yeah. 
You heard it here first. You heard we it we did, we did, man. What's your name? Yeah. Matthew. Matthew. Matthew name. and the Progressives. That's like a band. <laughs> <laughs> Great political party name. You might have just named a, a new party. I'm slightly bewildered by it all, really. <laughs> why are you bewildered? Are you not happy? Yeah. I've been a member of the Labour Party for 25 years, but for the same reason as you, I'm leaving because I can't stand the, the, the horrible and the nonsense. So uh, as soon as you've set yourself up properly, I'm there and I'm happy to start organising. Matthew, I don't want to say that your political career is escalating quickly, but if you're free on the last Wednesday in June, I could do with a guest. <laughs> oh, man. What an amazing, amazing night. Thank you so much to everyone who came, because I think tonight, more than any other night, the audience has been so important in, in the way that this night has gone and the way it's been conducted. So thank you all for coming. Uh, next, my next guest at the end of March is George Osborne, and future guests, Ooh. perhaps including Matthew, uh, will be uh, <laughs> announced uh, in due course. But for now, please thank four fantastic guests and Coffee and Mike Gates. <laughs> and to truly magnificent guests, please give a lot of love for Heidi Allen and Chuck Ramuna. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good night. Well, there you go. Anne Coffey, Mike Gapes, Heidi Allen and Chukka Ramuna, four fantastic guests and a really special event to do all four on the same night. And you could feel the atmosphere in the room. Um, and I think a lot of what they said resonated with people. But also more than that, I think you could sense the relief from all four of them at having left the parties that they've left. And I think you can't help but have a certain amount of empathy for that. Uh, on top of which, they were all really funny um, at times, obviously, emotional um, and reflective. Um, but it's just fascinating to talk to them now at the start of this journey because who knows where it's going to end up? The potential is huge. The risks are huge. And I think that's what makes it such a... Uh, that's what made it such a special night and what makes it such a, a fascinating um, moment in, in, in British politics. Um, so thanks to all of them. And if you look in the um, show notes, you'll be able to see how you can follow them on Twitter and uh, access their website. As I said at the start, you can uh, email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, um, with anything, reflections, suggestions. Um, Emily gets in touch uh, and says, um, and it's a very good point, um, uh, perhaps Brussels would be a good venue for one of your tour shows or a podcast re recording. It's just a short hop away on the Eurostar, and us British expats here could certainly do a laugh, do with a laugh in these Brexit times. Well, I mean, that is a very good idea, and I will immediately turn my mind to thinking about how um, I could uh, achieve that. So if you have any uh, connections with uh, the political class in Brussels, that would be a hugely um, hugely appreciated. Victoria Brown um, emails about David Blunkett and says he was the first politician I ever met when he visited my school as education secretary and I got to play to him the steel pans, which he was very polite about despite it being frankly awful. I also luckily got to meet him in my professional life a few years ago and it's so nice to see from childhood to then to now he remains such a kind, approachable, intelligent and humble man. Definitely one of the good guys. He is. And I, David Blunkett is one of those people that I think will stay with me for the rest of my life. Even in, in the short time since I've met him and interviewed him, I think about him so much. Um, 
I think he's one of the most impressive people I've ever met, and he had a profound effect on me, and I'm sure he did on, by the sounds of things, all of you as well, um, or some of you. Um, I can't speak for all of you, of course. Uh, Victoria also goes on to suggest uh, Peter Kyle as a as a future guest. Peter would be superb, and I interviewed him at um, a fringe event at the Labour Conference in Brighton, um, and he was amazing. So I would definitely try and get Peter on. Gary Fantana gets in touch and says, brilliant podcast with Johnny Mercer. When I hear someone like that talking, I wonder what the point of Conservative values and Labour values are when realistically, if Johnny Mercer turns up at your door, says all the things he said on the podcast, most people would vote for him regardless of which party he was representing. Well, Gary, what a, what a point to be making on this show, really. I guess um, in some to some extent that's what the independent group are trying to understand or more to the point that's what they do understand and um uh, that's something that they are uh, keen to harness um so thank you for all your emails um keep them coming in political party podcast uh, at gmail.com and you can see in the notes how to follow uh, my four guests on twitter and how to uh, uh, and including the independent group and their website which chucker was uh, very um, adept at continually plugging throughout the interview as I said at the start as well, uh, my Brexit through the gift shop tour continues. And thank you to everyone who's come. It's been amazing. It's been the best tour I've ever done. And um, the audience has been amazing. And it's just such a thrill as a comedian to, you know, you take a show on the road uh, to all these different places. You're never sure how it's going to go in different towns and cities, but it's just been, every single one of them has been brilliant. So thank you all for coming. Um, and I'm doing a big night at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 26th of March, just days before we leave the European Union. So that will probably have uh, quite a special atmosphere. Um, but tickets for all those shows, including the extra dates in at the Salford Lowry, which I added because it sold out earlier in the tour, and the Camberley Theatre. And I think Corby has all but sold out now, and a couple of the others have as well. So um, do get your tickets quickly for those. Um, but you can check all the dates and get all your tickets at mattford.com slash live. Got some amazing weekly guests coming up, and, of course, the next live guest at the end of March is George Osborne, and some fantastic guests to be announced for the rest of the year. For now, enjoy your day, your evening, your morning, whatever you're up to, and I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.